My name is Liza Lovett, and I would like to reintroduce you to the Warriors podcast. We had a podcast a few years ago. We pushed pause. Now we are back, different direction, but same heartbeat. The goal of Warriors is to create a community of women who are able to speak up, to speak out, and let their stories be told. We hope to inspire, equip, empower, and bring hope to women through our struggles and our victories so that you too can become stronger and can become aware in life. Now I would like to proudly introduce the first series of the Warriors podcast entitled Enough. Welcome back to the new Warriors podcast. I'm your host, Liza Lovett. I had a podcast two, almost three years ago and Angela was actually on it with me, and we, we pushed pause on that podcast for a little bit. We're picking it back up again, and now we're here doing a brand new series called the Enough Series, and the Enough Series is focusing in on cults and church abuse. So I'm sitting here this weekend with very special people. Um, most of these are my ex-roommates from my college years, my right after college years, but everybody here is a part or was a part of the cult that we were all in. And we are actually back in the same town that we were in, that the cult is still active in, which is kind of cool, kind of nerve wracking. But we're all here to tell our story. We're all here to share what happened. We have five very different stories coming from the same ministry. And the reason we're doing this today is one, so that we can put puzzle pieces together. We can all hear, um, oh, this happened to me, this happened to me too. Or like, oh my gosh, I had no idea you were the culprit of that. But we also want to provide some hope and some inspiration for people who have been through church reviews, people who have been involved in cults. And you either have come out and you're trying to figure out what do I do in life now? Or you're still in it and you're hoping to get out. So all five of us have really wrestled quite a bit with who we are, what we believe, and we've all come through a lot. So um, thank you guys for being here. I'm so excited. So super informal. As you can see, we also have a baby. Um, she'll be running around. But let's go around for a few minutes and just share who is who. Uh, how long you were in the cult and what your role was. So, Rachel? Um, my name is Rachel Vanderberg. Um, I came uh, to this town um, right after I graduated high school. So, that was in 2009. And I was a part of this organization until um, I think early 2014. So, about five years. Um, and really, after 2014, I had my first baby in March of 2014, and that's when I stopped being really active. I was kind of active here and there just because of, you know, the life that happens when you have kids. And um, I have not been a part of it since 2017. Angela? Um, yeah, I was part of the organization from, um, I want to say 2000 and like three or four. 
up until 2015, so 11 years, I believe. Um, I joined, um, yeah, I joined because someone had told me about like how the speaker was really dynamic and had really good, just spoke about really cool things. And I was in transition in life and just really kind of looking for a community and a place to belong. So I joined and um, stayed for 11 years. Yeah. That's so long. I knew it was long. Mm -hmm. but I, yeah, that's a long time. Amanda. Oh my goodness. I'm Amanda Marr. I joined in 2012, 2012, yeah, like the end of 2012 to the beginning of 2019. It was just in and out. So I had gotten married, had babies. So I'm a local, is <laughs> what they're called. I'm like, is what they're called. You know, when you live here your whole life, you're raised, born, all that stuff, and I remained. I had gotten in a really bad spot uh, with. Just life, you know, just growing up, moving out of your house and things you're on and coming into your own, and it was just really difficult. So I remember a friend of the family had invited me over and over again, along with his sister, and I decided, okay, I'm at the point. I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah. Hannah. Yeah. Uh, my name is Hannah. I started going probably 2010. I believe to 2013. Um, my role in it, well, okay, I'll say how I how I joined. Um, it was through two very outgoing guys who I met through um, campus, and um, yeah, they were like, "Oh, we have this great group of people who there's great worship." Um, we just have a lot of fun, and these are very outgoing guys, and I was like, oh yeah, that sounds like fun. So I started going, um, and yeah, um, for a few years, one of my role in the organization was really just a, you know, participant, um, a dedicated participant, I could say, um, every single time the doors were open or we were gathering, I was a part of that. So. so I was in from 2008 until 2014, so six years. And I came in because I was in a very abusive relationship. And we happened to be having a huge fight walking around campus one day because the, the organization is right on the edge of a college campus. So we were walking around having this fight. We, we came in just to take a break to uh, the coffee house, which is kind of the hub where everything happens in that ministry. The coffee house is owned. I don't know why I just said ministry. Um, the organization, the, the, the coffee house is where people meet for Bible study, for all the things. And we walked in, and that was my introduction to the uh, the lead pastor's now ex-husband, which we'll talk about later. And that's how I got started, where people recognized that I was not okay and something was wrong in that relationship. And so the, the hook for me was 
oh my gosh, you're not okay. We can help you. We'll take care of you. We'll have your back, which our listeners will notice that that becomes quite the theme in everybody's story, but certainly everyone here is there was something broken. There was something uh, traumatic, something vulnerable about all of us and everyone who becomes, a, uh, I would say, a dedicated member of that organization is the hook of, okay, we can help you. We can take care of you. And then that is what is lorded over you to stay. So let's kind of talk about what was that hook for all of y'all. So I know for me, I was in and out of the organization for a good year while I was in that abusive relationship. And finally, when he and I broke up, I had some people from that organization surround me and go, okay, let's pray for you. Let's love on you, work with you. They put me on the worship team and I, I felt valued. I felt like I was being taken care of. I didn't trust myself to make good decisions. I didn't trust myself in who I was, but I knew that I wanted to do something important. I knew that I wanted to belong, which Angela, I'll let you speak on that because you, you say that really well, but I, I wanted to be a part of something. So having people around me who were willing to take care of me where I was at in my brokenness and then place me in a position of leadership on the worship team, that was my hook. And that's kind of what kept me going. And eventually it was used against me. So I'll let you talk about that because you say the you talk about the belonging really well and the currency. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's almost in any place, right? Because I think everyone's looking for their tribe, their people, where they feel like they're seen and known and understood. And so when you feel like you've found that, you it can be something that's very, like, of high value to you. So because of the value to it, to be seen and known and understood and belong to a group of people, because of the value, you tend to... Well, people will get their lives for it. That's why religious organizations um, can get away with as much as they do because they offer that at a high level of value. Um, and, you know, because people follow their tribe. And so I think that this organization really capitalized on that because anytime you're reaching out to young adults and college-age students, that's really important to them is being in a place where they feel seen and known and they can be a part of something bigger than themselves and can like make a difference and make an impact. And so because it offered that, it was very appealing and it was also smaller. And so that was also appealing. And so, but the caveat to that was, is that it was used as a form of reward and punishment. And so reward was given as far as being inclusive, being close to the, the leader, getting inclusive knowledge of things going on, getting in hidden information, having special privileges and special access to the leaders. That was your reward. And then when you didn't agree with the leader or you did something that the leader felt like was wrong, your punishment would then be, um, you'd be excluded. You'd be, other people were told to exclude you. Uh, you'd be pulled into meetings where you would be demoted. 
um, you would be now the special information that was given out to other people and in your case would be talked about with other people. And so you really didn't want to be in that position. So you really strove to please the person in charge so that you could be in a more privileged position. Yes. And I love the way you, you always say that really well. And that was hard for multiple reasons because the, the dynamics in this room of relationships is a lot. So like for Angela and I, you were supposed to be my mentor because I was younger, you were a little bit older and not in college. You were in a position of the, the most uh, powerful position at the time. You were like kind of the right-hand man, the second command to the, the pastor and her now ex-husband. Um, and I was the super broken, rebellious girl. So Angela is supposed to be my mentor. Well, we became friends instead. <laughs> and that was a problem. And so we were constantly pinned against each other. And Angela was constantly having to sit in front of the pastor and have the conversations of like, well, you need to be doing da 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 with Liza or for Liza and report back. And then when we were just friends and hanging out, well, now she's rebellious. Now she's being disobedient. And now the head pastor is coming to me and going, I need you to watch Angela and report XYZ back to me. And so that was just our dynamic. But you were funny <laughs> because... Angela, Rachel, Hannah, and I, we all lived together at one point, actually on several points, but when I reconnected with Hannah, it was actually just recently, and we were talking, and one of the first things you said was, I was the tattletale, and I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> so, so can you share a little bit of like what that means, and what your role was, and how what, why you got in that position and how you functioned in that. Yeah. So <clears throat> I didn't realize it at the time, but in hindsight, real, I realized that, you know, each of us played a certain role in the leader's um, game of chess, I would say. Um, so whatever your strength was or your weakness was, that was used to their advantage. So at the time, I was much younger and a very compliant person. Not so much now. But at the time, I did not have any defiance toward authority. Um, you know, as a lot of people are taught in churches to honor your elders, you know, and rightfully so in the correct circumstance. But anyway, in my position... I was really compliant and, um, again, didn't realize it at the time, but was kind of cozied up to by the leader. Just like, oh, can you start, you know, can you do this? And, um, you know, was given the opportunity to live in this home. Um, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. I'm living with these people that I already am around all the time. This is great. And so um, I didn't even... I don't think I fully understood it at the time where I would start to get texts like, oh, what's so-and-so doing today? Oh, have you seen so-and-so? And I thought it was just a friendly check-in. Oh, hey, I haven't heard from, you know, I mean, like, like Liza said, I lived with all these girls except for Amanda. 
But, you know, I would just get these texts like, oh, have you seen so-and-so recently? Yeah, you know. And, you know, it, I didn't realize that I started to become this, like, almost like a mole, you know, a, a person to listen in and, oh, can you tell me if so-and-so comes and goes, you know, can you let me know if you see this happening? So, um Again, just kind of being a naive, vulnerable young person. Like, oh, yeah, she's just making sure everyone's okay. Yeah. And at the time, you know, didn't realize that it was for her own scheming, um, her own power play. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, it went on for a while, you know, again, just kind of not realizing, oh, this is what's actually happening. Um, apparently, there was, I think, there definitely wasn't a trust there, and I think that's ultimately why she had to go through other people because she didn't trust a single person. And um, you know, yeah. And just for the sake of context, so we all lived together in this house, and what it was was it was it was like the servants' quarters, right, of a of the main house. So um, this this big beautiful house. Um, somehow, old plantation, house. old plantation house. Thank you. It came into the possession of the the lead pastor, and she bought it, she bought it and um, and lives in this this huge home. Directly behind it is a smaller home that was you know used for the as the servants' quarters. But then they made it a home where all of the girls could come and live in the ministry, and that's important because that comes into play several times that house really became a hub of people in and out and living there who were broken who needed a place to stay who needed a job and then again the house is kind of used against you later on which we'll get to so hannah's room was actually at the back of the house had a huge window that faced directly faced the back door of uh, of the main house and that's where everyone would come and go um into her home so you you would look out your window sometimes and say so and so just came to your house so and so just left right yeah yeah so i left that part out but yeah yeah um and when she knew because there were so many rooms in the house i had lived in almost every single one at one point yeah. but um yeah when i faced their back door, she would say, oh, let me know when, I mean, it was just like a list of people or basically anyone, you know, let me know if people are coming and going into my home. Um, so. Which to provide more context. So the, this organization was built on the college campus in efforts to reach out to college students to introduce them to a more like spirit-led type lifestyle. Um, where it was a more non-denominational, spirit-led type um, church. And so their goal was to introduce college students into that lifestyle and to help them overcome, like, whatever they, they were facing. And so they did that through um, mission trips, like trying to take college students overseas. They did that through, um, they built a coffee house and did that through allowing college students to serve in that coffee house for free. Um, they did that through um, 
various like three or four Bible studies a week that um, ended up really becoming mandatory, even though it was not said. If you did not show up, you were met with and asked why you were there. So it was non-mandatory, mandatory meetings. And then um, eventually they did that by buying property and moving college students onto their houses onto the property, which just expanded. Oh, and then they and they owned like a small radio station. And so it really expanded that, their control, because at that point you were controlled by where you lived, like your your living situation. And sometimes they would let you live for free or really cheap. Really cheap. So yeah. you were controlled by where you lived, where you worked, where you served, where you worshipped, where your friends were. It was all wrapped up into one organization. And so therefore you really were felt a lot of pressure to stay in good standing with that organization. Mm -hmm. um, so you could keep your job, keep your house, keep your friends, all of that. And um, most everyone who joined that organization, most of them either were curious about more spiritual spirituality or they were in a place in their life where they were very vulnerable and they were very broken. And they were promised that if you join, we can help you find a way out. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a little bit more context too as to why yeah yeah it became a part yeah and so you you were never as involved as the rest of us um like hannah said even though she was in for a very short time she was very dedicated during that time and then obviously myself angela rachel we were we were pretty much there at every bible study mm -hmm. at every single thing you had that you had yeah. to be because if you were not i remember the least thing that would happen would your would be your phone would blow up with phone yeah. calls and texts over and over and over again and and sometimes people would be sent to your house i have no idea how many times people like you and angela and rachel came to where i was living and I was ripped out of bed. And that was not abnormal. If you were sick, well, too bad. It's just spirit-filled. And oh we, we get up and we go to church and we go to Bible study so that we get healed. And we can get into that later. But we were dedicated. But it really flip-flops. Like, for me, it flip-flops at one point to just feeling the pressure of, like Angela said, the pressure of having to attend or else. But you were not so involved. So how no. did you juggle all of that? What was the hook that kept you going, but the thing that held you back from being all in? So I had, I'm like, I don't even know. I just, I know that I was trying to get in, just get girlfriends. I knew that I needed different friends because my girlfriends at the time, who were an amazing support system, were also the type who were like, oh, you need money? Go get on plenty of fish and hook you a guy and just send him a couple tip picks and he'll he'll send you money. And there you go. And I was like, I mean, like, I could do that, but... <laughs> yeah, I want to. <laughs> yeah. And so I remember this friend, this guy friend that I'd had, just kind of off and on, a childhood friend. Um, he was like, hey... My sister's telling me you're in a really bad place. Why don't you come? Just mm -hmm. try it on things. Mm -hmm. um, and I remembered getting in that way, like just showing up one night 
um, these the girls that I were friends with, they thought there's some weird thing and um, I remember talking to you about it and I was like, they're gonna beat me up, what do I do? <laughs> like in Mel's kitchen and it, it felt good to have girls communicate and talk and, and just, and so I get there, so I'm like at the Bible study, you know, and I just feel so awkward. I felt really hot. I felt really like just, just awkward, the awkward, you know, because it wasn't like church where you go and, and you have people, hey, I'm so-and-so and you can sit here. It was like, <laughs> like I felt more comfortable in a bar setting. Yeah, I remember feeling that way and thinking that I'm so more comfortable in a bar. Everybody's way more inviting. <laughs> you know. But I stayed. I stayed and I guess the dynamic for that was that it was different. Was it healthy? But it was different. And I was just dying to have something different. Um yeah. No, but that's yeah. good. Of, you know, we've all talked about in different contexts so many times. I know you and I have had this conversation. You and I have had this conversation of abusive relationships. And the thing is, actually, you said this. Abuse, all abusive relationships have their good moments. Like, that's really what keeps you in. There's so many people that, that will look at women who stay in uh, sexual um like porn and stripping stripping and stay in abusive relationships and like why don't you just leave well it's not all that is yeah. the thing like uh i'll let you say that because you said it really well well yeah like your brain anybody's ever been in a domestic violence situation or just a family violence or just dysfunction to an extreme level their your brain is your brain is created to block it out to say hey it's not that bad mm-hmm. stay in and, and that's survival mode you're already in survival mode when your brain is telling you no it's okay yeah no it's okay because your brain is remembering all the good things that you got from me mm-hmm. so my brain when I would go back when I would get to a point where I was like in survival mode throughout those years it was okay so like now I'm remembering the first time it was like had a miscarriage. And I latched onto these people because these people couldn't tell me why it happened. They couldn't tell me what was going on. And I had this community saying, Hey, the devil took your baby. That's what happened. That's and it was a reason that I've never even looked into. And um there's just that push and pull. But yeah, your brain is totally it's it's created that way. So it's and that's what makes it toxic. That's what makes it not healthy. Mm-hmm. Because then your body's releasing all these crazy hormones that tell you, no, this is totally safe and this is normal. And that becomes your normal. That becomes your safety. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. And I remember even in the really abusive relationship I was in before I came to this ministry, the first time that I experienced aggression physically, sexually, verbally it was shocking and disturbing and took me forever to get over but then it became something that was my normal so you just kind of numb out and and it is like your god created our brains and our bodies to have a survival response which is healthy you're just not supposed to live there yeah when you live there it's not healthy and so when i came into this organization 
and now, and I'm so used to all of this aggression and abuse. And now I've got people going, oh my gosh, have you ever considered um, deliverance? Which, oh, yeah. <laughs> we haven't even gotten into that. We haven't oh. even gotten into that, um, <laughs> which we, we will. And that might have to be a conversation for like podcast number two. <laughs> but um, to really dive into that, we can certainly talk about it today. But, um, but I came in with a lot of trauma, a lot of abuse. I was raped multiple times. I... I had a lot going on, and then I have people sitting in front of me with a Bible mm. saying, we love you, and we want to pray for you, and oh my gosh, have you ever considered that you may be possessed or oppressed by a spirit of lust, by a spirit yeah. of rebellion, by a spirit of pride or succubus, which were the things that I, I, I guess... And still to this day, plagued with Jezebel. 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 Um, oh, they said I was a Jezebel. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. You're an angel. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, you. I, I mean, all Jezebel. So it's so you sit there, and and I was used to everything being my fault because my ex boyfriend had done such a great job at teeing that up. Like, yeah. oh, this happened because you said or did da 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 da, and and so now I'm sitting here with people. Who, uh, who are in ministry, who love the Lord. And I will say again, it's what they're telling me. Yeah, so they're telling you, and it's not, it's, it wasn't all bad. Like I actually learned, I can attribute the fact that I read the Bible in a different way because I kind of, I had to when yeah. we were in this organization. And so there were some foundational things that shifted for me that I can look back on and go, okay, you know, it's like, in the Bible when it talks about God takes everything and makes it good. Yeah. I can go pick through the good and go, okay, that's great. However, then you, you, when you start hearing, oh my gosh, you were raped because you have a spirit of lust. Let's get that off of you. What does that do? It enforces that, oh, it was my fault. Yeah. And it's, it was subconscious at the time, but I ended up later. I tell people literally, I have been through hundreds and hundreds of deliverances, and I think we can all kind of say that. So for me, I'm like, I I have lust, I have rebellion, I so, have da da da. <laughs> just to, for what deliverance is, like yes, as a, as the, just this ministry defines deliverance, I actually wrote books about deliverance as um, they believe that uh, you can be oppressed and possessed by demonic spirits, and those spirits can actually cause things to happen to you. And so you have to or through you so you have to be put you go through a session where somebody hears from god what spirits are are possessing or oppressing you mm -hmm. and then they use the name of jesus to tell those spirits that they have to leave you um not necessarily like the worst thing ever but the reason you felt like it was your fault and you didn't just say no it's not my fault it's that demonic spirit's fault is because they would ask you questions like what did you do to open the door yeah. What did you do to let that in? Well, you shouldn't have oh done this and you wouldn't have opened the door to let that in. So then you really take a lot of personal, like, what's wrong with you that you keep making this spirit attach itself to you? And then you truly believe that. Yeah. But nothing, there was no set of personal accountability, especially with the men. So the men really did not have a lot of, so another background and and to piggyback off of what you said the reason it's the reason it's not it's not all 
the reason people stay in toxic situations is because it's not all bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to meet someone or a church or an organization and they were to say, Hey, we are going to abuse you and we're going to make you feel like everything's your fault. And we're going to essentially end up kicking you out because you're going to have your own brain and ask your own questions. Yeah. No one in their right mind would do that. Right. But it's because there was so much good. And then within the good, starts the thread of the dysfunction or the toxicity but that in the quilt the quilt starts good but by the time you're at this end of the quilt it is all toxic and you don't realize that you were pulled down and that's what narcissists do that's what abusers do and oddly so the leader of this organization is very um masculine in in just which isn't good nor bad however they she leaned towards masculine energy and therefore was very much rewarding of men, which is probably why you don't see a lot of men in here, although we do have a few that said that they would speak out against it, but very much rewarding with no accountability to the men of the organization, and then very much um control um and weird behavior and oppression towards the women. So the women were mainly held very much accountable for if you were if a man lusted after you it wasn't the man's fault for lusting it was your fault for being someone yeah. you want to lust after yeah. yeah or it's flipped on you and the men a lot of the times the men that i encountered there they were all predators mm-hmm. and their hook like a man's hook for getting in that i've noticed is oh i've hurt a lot of people i've hurt this person i've hurt this person and so are they protected? No, but they feel protected because there's acceptance. Mm-hmm. They're they're told, oh, well, that wasn't you. That was a spirit in you. Let's just get that out and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, you flip the script on the women and it's like, oh, well, that wasn't really him. That was a spirit, but we got that out. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. A perfect example of that is my ex-fiance, <laughs> um, who is your childhood friend. Yep. And... He's someone, so I was in the ministry, just for a little context and background, I was in the ministry for a couple of years, and when he came in to the ministry, I keep saying ministry, it's a cult. I was in the cult for several years, and then he came in, and he was just a young guy who liked to smoke weed, and was just like, you know, a little messed up teenager who came in trying to find something better in life and become a better man, I guess was yeah. his original goal. Um, I always found him incredibly obnoxious, loud and annoying. And he asked me out literally over and over again for a good three years before mm-hmm. I finally was like, okay. Um, and the reason we started dating, I think this is important too, because y'all all have your own story with him. The reason I said yes to dating him was because I had already spent a good three or four years um, being told consistently that I, girls like me who really have a huge sexual past and wear a scarlet letter, we don't, we just don't get to be choosy about the men who we date or who we marry. And there's like a certain level that is almost like cut off to girls with my kind of past or like our past were similar. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, eh, yeah, you know, you can get freedom 
from these these demons, but I had gone through five billion deliverances and I still had the demons apparently, and they were all my fault. And this guy, my ex-fiance, he knew my past and he seemed unafraid of that. And he knew the demons that um, wouldn't leave. And he wanted to date me anyway. So finally, after the, I don't know how many times he actually asked me out, but finally, I, it wasn't that I was so attracted to him. It's not that <laughs> I thought he was this a wonderful man. I just thought he's willing to deal with me and I'd like to get married. And I guess this is what I get. And so we dated and he ended up being extremely controlling. Lied to this day, lies, is a habitual liar and very manipulative. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night to him touching me in my sleep so many times. And um, the sexual coercion with him was very high. And the sexual fantasies and requests were a lot and different to say the least. And so I found myself saying yes to all the sexual stuff. And then he would go and turn me in and say, like, oh, yeah, I keep having sex with Liza. It's that demon. And so whose fault is that? Well, it's mine. He would not have a porn addiction. He would not have this fetish. He would not have his sexual, um, you know, whatever. If I, if, if, if I didn't open that door. Yeah. And so y'all, you experienced that. In several things where it was like, okay, well, that's, that's not with him, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, not with him, but it was several things where it was like, it's totally your fault. Yeah. And so I remember um, he came out with some very serious things where he had broken into our house that we were living in, stole my panties, would do whatever he wanted with them and throw them away. He put cameras up and was watching me and confessed this and confessed this huge porn problem. And I took it to the pastors and I'm the one who ended up in a room in a, we call it the deliverance room where they took everyone to do deliverance um, with, with the pastor for several hours and was lectured about how this was my fault, followed by a mandatory deliverance, mm -hmm. which he did not receive. So, and he didn't get demoted. He did not get demoted. He got promoted. Yep. Yeah. So there's, what other stories do y'all have of those types of experiences where the men were praised or just kind of slapped on the hand? And maybe it wasn't sexual, but you, you were the one that had to sit and endure the, this is your fault. Maybe that's loaded. No. <laughs> I mean, for me, it wasn't even, there was no man involved. For me, it was the every miscarriage I had yeah became my fault well what are, you're not putting on your armor and I just thought oh my gosh like I put on my armor the moment I found out I was pregnant like on 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 um you didn't pray that protection over you you didn't what did you do oh it was all the plan b you took because mm -hmm. I it was like I came to the realization oh I took a lot of plan b like it has to be that and they're like oh that's what it was and so now I know that they actually attribute all, I have three very healthy, amazing babies now. Terrible pregnancies, but I have the worst pregnancy. <laughs> Rachel is amazing. Yeah, Rachel's pregnancy <laughs> like, <amazing>. Godly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what you want. Yeah. But they attribute all their life, like the fact that they're living and breathing and healthy, 
to that they've created that loss. Mm-hmm. Even though my last two, they've never even met. Okay, that was so good. We have so much to unpack, and I think this is a really good intro, but it, it, it's a lot. So, and Rachel was gone for a lot of it. Um, <laughs> because babies. Because babies. <laughs> so, Rachel, we want you to be a part of the conversation, absolutely. We're going to go ahead and end this here, and we'll do a part two in just a little bit. And in our part two, I'm just going to go around and ask everybody questions because I think all, <laughs> I think we all have certain points that are really important to touch on that we can all speak to differently. So thank you guys so much. That was so good. Awesome. Thank you.